I think everyone needs a coach. I mean, mentorship and guidance have been incredibly crucial in our development as a company. So I thought I'd introduce you to some amazing coaches as part of this special series of Meet My Business. On today's episode of Meet My Business, I have the great pleasure to introduce you to Debbie Bryant. She's an international coach and speaker. Uh, Debbie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Oh, you're welcome. So what we're going to be talking today is about how to move to becoming a true business owner. There's a lot of time that we waste as business owners, um, things that aren't really actually pushing the needle forward. And I think Debbie's going to provide us with a huge amount of like really practical advice to get going and really move from just being someone who claims to own a business to being an actual factual business owner. Um, but before we get into that, uh, Debbie, can you just maybe introduce yourself a bit and let us know, uh, you know what you do currently and maybe a bit of your history as well? Yeah, no problem. Um, so I first started coaching about 25 years ago um, in a call center. And from then, was made redundant and worked into homeworking with travel, had my own business. Um, from there, opened a hair salon with my friend asked me and I could not say no to open a hair salon. So I did a bit of both. And then I uh, smashed my leg up in a car accident and was a hairdresser with a broken leg. So like very, very much my salon was in a gym. And um, I was on crutches for six months. So in terms of pivoting in the business and having to kind of work out where you fit into your whole life, my whole life was in the gym. Um, I didn't fit into my life at all. So I had to kind of reinvent myself. And that's where I learned one of my biggest lessons was that once I started working on the business, because I had no choice but to work on the business, I was terrified. I was going to lose my business. I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to support the wages and the clients and you know, the family and stuff like that. Um, and once I actually started to focus on answering the phone myself, um, that wasn't straight away. I did the website, I did the marketing, I did the blogs, I did all that stuff. And we made more money rather than less money. I never lost any clients. And when I did start answering the phone, that was a game changer because prior to that, we were quite a small salon, small business, like a lot of people. And, and my ego was huge, right? My ego was so huge. And I was like, the business will not, work if I'm not the person who's cutting the hair like I have to be the person that is cutting the hair and I see this so much in many many businesses particularly service-based businesses that you are the only person who can contribute to the business um and so I was like oh my god it's all going to fall apart I'm going to lose my staff and actually the business did so much better so to give a, an example we we went from one room in a in a gym with um two staff, like a, an apprentice, a manager, and a part-timer, to having, uh, within about two and a half years, a 10-room spa with a photo studio, jacuzzi, um, hair salon we were just opening, and 26 staff. And in number terms, it went from 75,000 turnover to 444,000 in eight months in that first year that we were in the spa. So would that have happened if my ego didn't get pushed out of the way? Absolutely not. If I'd still been stood doing 50 hours a, a, a week behind the chair, of course not. I wouldn't have had time to step back and see the big picture. So um, in terms of that, I I did get to a stage after the accident where I needed more operations. And so I came out of that business and sold it and then went back into the coaching and helping people to understand like how to grow their businesses and how to get off of the tools and start um, working as a business owner and not an employee in the business i think especially as you said as service-based businesses and i can tell you our business is no different 
you you know start off as a technician, you get really good at like one very specific thing, and then you start offering that to the world. Uh, maybe you move from corporate to your own business, that kind of stuff. Getting rid of that ego is so hard because how do I trust that they're going to do it as good as me? Um, yeah, but it is ego. And I had a friend who went into a property mentor and she and she had the same experience. And she was like, well, the business won't run without me. And this person was really harsh. And she went, you're getting in your own way. Your ego is so big that you think you're the only person. And she made her employ a team of VAs at like $5 an hour and they could do the job just as well as she could. Because actually what she needed to do was the strategy. What I needed to do, so give it like a real classic example, when we're all working in the salon. And because I was in a big health club, like a David Lloyd health club, we didn't really need masses of reception and all that stuff because it was everything there. It was a bar area and toilets and changing rooms. So our actual salon is within the, the club and, and they spent 15 million building the club. We were there from the, from the ground upwards. Um, so it was a very high level. We we had a, a reception, but we didn't have a receptionist because we didn't need it, we thought. And everyone tells you you should, especially in hairdressing, and then and nobody does. So when I so previously I would have my apprentice answering the phone, 16, 17 years old, not really got any sales skills, or maybe myself or one of my stylists would answer the phone, but you'd be in between. So you might be already doing the client's hair and you'd be like, Yeah, 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 great. Oh, yeah, put you in it. See next week, five ball, put the phone down. Okay. So that's how the appointments were booked, which is like I cringe when I look back now. So I I had a I had a friend that came in and actually managed the salon for me. But I felt like I was kind of taking advantage of her in that she would also answer my phone and book my appointments. So on the days when she was in that, I would go in, wedge my leg underneath the desk and take the calls myself. And what happened then is so when people would phone up and say, oh my God, can you fit me in for a quick haircut this weekend? And I would say to him, well, are you not actually due for a colour or a bigger service? And they would be like, well, I didn't think you'd fit me in. So I could take that call from from a £40 call, okay, to £150. So the revenue, so the difference in the revenue, I mean, that's that was one phone call. If I was paying a receptionist £10, £12 an hour, like, it's insane the money that we lost out on because people would say, oh, I would have got my colour, I'm well booking next week. Or, you know, they were just, they were available. If there was a special offer, I'd be like, we've got this on special offer. Do you want to try this? Or... You actually could just do a proper job. It was a job in itself. And so then managing the business became not easier because never easy. I was on crutches for six months. I couldn't walk. I was total non-weight bearing for six months. I could do anything apart from sitting in that chair sometimes and do the marketing and do the website. But it was such a revelation to say, okay, so what else can we do? And then I started looking for other streams of revenue because we're in Half Club and there was other bits. And so started to grow the business and ended up with teeth whitening. We ended up with aesthetics. We ended up with a makeover photo studio. We ended up with um, a full beauty spa. You know, like all the things that there was just was no time. And then we ended up with three salons dotted around Swindon. And if I'd stayed behind that chair, I just couldn't have had that level of growth. And so the overwhelm that you have, because I was too busy, too busy to do anything, too busy to think outside the box, let alone work outside the box. You know, and, and and it happens to all of us. We're we're all and we're all really good at one thing. I'm quite lucky that I've most hairdressers are very creative and only do the creative side. I'm quite good at the other side of it as well. Um, because I make myself be that way. But I think for every business you're a solopreneur and you have a dream and you live that dream and you're killing it and then all of a sudden the business starts to kill you. And at that point you either makes the transition 
and, and go, okay, I now need to become a business owner and build a team and start giving out some £10 tasks, outsourcing, which is what I help with now with a lot of solopreneurs, or you stay stuck where you are in that bottleneck of having no more left of you, like literally no more of your time. You're probably not seeing your kids. You're probably not having any leisure time. You're definitely not going to the gym. Um, even though I worked in a gym, you would have gone to the gym. There was no time for that. Um, but you definitely would be overwhelmed by the business. But at the same time, very, very fearful that if I stop doing this, it'll fall apart. And I guess it's almost it is kind of a reality if you don't set up your business in the right way, right? Or if you haven't actually set up a business to be a true business and rather you're just self-employed. The reality is if you go, if you do, do take your foot off the pedal in that situation and you have no like actual strategy to you know move into that next step, you will just start losing momentum. Well, I didn't have a strategy. So, you know, I, I got hit by a car, physically stood on the side of the road. I had to save my own life, which I did um, twice. And then, you know, the next day I'm faced with this leg that's sitting in a cage and, and I've got doctors telling me that I won't be able to walk and I'm going to lose the use of my leg and I'm having to negotiate with them to say, no, no, that's not a possibility. That's not an option. Come and give me another answer. And, and and four times I negotiated with my surgeon to say, stop keep telling me that I'm going to use, lose the use of my leg because I have a hair salon, I have children, I have this. And eventually they came back and took some bone out of my hip and rebuilt the leg. And then I had to then to go through the recovery and learn to walk. You know, I did that was January. I didn't walk until July um, and still had to manage a business through that time. So I didn't have a strategy. You know, I was taken out of the picture and I was like, what do I do? How do I manage it? But I had I had to do it the very hardest way, like the very, very hardest way. But I equally didn't have a choice on it. And if I'd ever been left to make the choice, who knows where we'd be? Not where I am. So let, let's get into some practical advice then to get people to start making this. Which, and I want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier, which is 10-pound tasks. What, what's a 10-pound task? So a 10-pound task is anything that you could pay someone £10 an hour to do or whatever the minimum wage is. I think it's 11 now. So anything that you're doing that someone else could do. So in the beginning, you have to do everything because there's no money coming in. Even when you start to be more successful and you're getting towards six figures, then, you know, there's a little bit of a budget there to pay somebody. Now, I'll give you a good example. I had a client that was in the food industry, absolutely doing really, really well, and really struggled to kind of um, make time for the business to grow. To, to Always when we had our coaching sessions, it would be like, I haven't had time, I haven't had time. And then one day he said to me, I really thought about you on Monday because I spent four hours washing up. But that's a £10 task. You can pay someone to come in and go, can you wash all the stuff up from the event at the weekend? You get somebody in to do that. So that's the very first thing that you need to look at if you are getting to that stage of like, what can you outsource? And it can be on a self-employed. It can be an hourly. It doesn't have to be that big commitment of recruiting somebody because that's another fear. Um, if you've never recruited and never taking somebody on, that can be overwhelming as well. But getting the £10 task out of the way. So whether it's a £10 task for somebody to post on your social media for you, the stuff that you are generally very good at, you'll you'll take pleasure. But there will always be stuff that you're not so good at and you don't like doing and they become very arduous. Um, I spoke to a client last week who does a um, great content for her clients and it's fantastic. You know, She's like, I go for a day and I film with them but then I've got to spend weeks doing the editing after and I can't bear the editing. That's a £10 task because she can make a lot of money from doing the bit that she likes and she can sell it really easily. And actually, it's a great service for people. 
But the other bit that is a little bit arduous and stuff, then you pay somebody to do that, which means that then you can sell to more people, you can do the fun stuff. You know, we all got into business not to be miserable. We got into business to have a better life, you know, a better life for our families and a better life for ourselves, more freedom, more fun, more flexibility. Next thing you know, you're successful in your business and you're trapped. There's no flexibility, there's no freedom, and there's definitely no fun. Um, so my advice is the first thing you've got to do is go, what could I pay someone? £10 an hour to be. It could be managing your email list, could growing your email list, for example. It could be phoning all your clients and saying, hey, we've got a special offer on this week. Would you like a, an appointment? Would you like to have a conversation? Um, it could be getting your cleaning done at home. You know, it could be having someone to come in and clean your house so that we don't spend all your weekend doing the washing and doing the cleaning, getting the ironing done, getting someone to sit and do your shopping online for you. Anything that you can pay somebody just 10 to 12 pounds an hour. If you are a business owner and you're hitting from from 50k upwards at least, but if you're hitting that six figures, those are not tasks that you should be doing because that's not the best use of your time. You're actually more valuable than that. Okay. So now business owner has taken this advice, started to outsource the tasks and start freeing up to get, you know, do the things that they actually truly amazing at for the business owner at that stage then what would you be recommending as the next stage to take to move to becoming that true business owner status so the next stage that we're looking at there so first of all that now you've created some time in your life okay you've created a little bit of downtime and i 100 percent believe that you have to have that downtime for the creativity to come back in your brain otherwise you're you're in what they call like a a, a fight flight or freeze situation so all your creativity would be gone your business will have got a little bit stagnant because you're literally just going through the process. You're just an employee, realistically. And actually, most people in this situation aren't even paying themselves a good wage. So they're not even as good as an employee. They're actually worse off than the employees. Um, so that's the first stage is you create some time. Then we have a strategy session to say, okay, where does the business need to go next? What's actually happening in the business? And this is where like, um, it's quite a brutal conversation, if I'm honest. For me, it is a usually a brutal conversation because I have a mantra of like, you know, the first thing that, that you should be nurturing in your business is the one that makes you the most amount of money for the least amount of time. And what I find for a lot of entrepreneurs is they are butterflies and they're chasing the fun stuff and it's not actually making the money. So if you're getting six figures and you're making the money, great. But are you making the money really? So are you wasting money on silly stuff? Are you, are you looking? So for example, if I give you that client that was doing three months worth of content, she only asked them for three months. It wasn't a 12-month or a six-month or a nine-month contract. It wasn't an option. So why would you not say to the people, I can give you a good deal if you buy it for the whole year? Because you're gonna, if, you're gonna, you know, if you're having three months content done, why would you not want the whole year's content done? And then actually, if your business is going to grow because you're having your content done and you're... Um, you know, their business is going to grow, then there's some sort of coaching or some business development that you maybe need to be offering as a sideline. So we start looking then at what's called a product tree. So you've got your core offer, and then we start looking at what can go around that product tree, whether you can train other people to do what you're doing, whether there's franchise opportunities, whether there's opportunities to go through different platforms, whether it could be a book or a podcast or um, literally just a big picture and go, okay, what products can we, what extra apples can we put on the tree? And then what's the low-hanging fruit? What's the easy stuff that is a natural progression to where you go? So 
if you're selling somebody three months at a service, the natural progression is to, to say, well, how about you work with me for longer? And then what opportunities are there? What other areas can we explore that are going to make you some money and give you that time and freedom balance um, and give you that spark, that joy back into your business? Because it's really easy to pull out of love for your business when you're stressed. I hate the word stress, but you hear it, it's like, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed. Everybody thinks that's that's the badge of honour. You're successful if you're stressed. And it's rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. And, and trust me, I learned this the really hard way, really, really hard way. And, you know, not just once, maybe two or three times I learned it the hard way because I have got a workaholic tendency. And um, I kind of made a promise to myself after I nearly died to go, my last thoughts weren't of my business and they were actually about my family. And I was like, okay, so, you know, keep the perspective, but it slides is all entrepreneurs we slide and then suddenly go hang on a minute I'm very out of line here I'm 90% business and and nothing for me so my like business come first then your family then your relatives and like you're nowhere on the list at all which is not very healthy for a business owner so so we look so first of all the template task then we do strategy session to say where else can you easily and where's the low-hanging fruit where's the opportunities that you've now got you're so in your business and go this is how we do things because this is what's got me to here what else can you do otherwise you're going to carry on doing them same things that's got you to there and you'll be overtaken by other people who are taking that low-hanging fruit so when we had a pre-chat um you spoke about uh personality quiz that you have as well as yeah. like archetypes of personalities and genuinely can i tell you it blew my mind and really had me seeing the world in, in, in a different way um, and seeing specifically the, my loved ones in a different way. Um, and I'd love it if you could just run us through those those personality types. Yeah, and, and it's really relevant to what we're talking about. It really is very, I would literally have that in my head. You must have read my mind, I think, but it's very relevant to, to what we're talking about. So if I go back to that fear of taking people on um, or, you know, I, I had to, a, a client that was like, Deb, I've never recruited. I don't know how to interview. I don't know. So, if you understand your personality type and you understand the personality types of other people, this makes this bit very easy. And this is something that I also teach. So, for example, and I know there's lots of different personality profiling, but I like to keep it simple because I haven't got a really in-depth brain and I don't want 40 pages of feedback to tell me what colour I am. Okay, so I just do it on a pack of cards. So um, we work on a pack of cards. So you've got a club personality, a diamond, a spade and a heart. Now... If you understand yourself and you understand what drives you and what demotivates you, and genuinely, if you're at that stage of trying to dish some £10 tiles out, please make sure that those are the ones that demotivate you because they will motivate another person. And this is where this magic comes in. If, for example, you are a very big picture person, you're going to slip up on the details. A big picture person would work what we call a spade and they are very much driven most entrepreneurs fit into this very driven by results not really driven by people um they're more about the results on winning and and getting stuff done they're really fast decision makers and they're like boom speed 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 everything is you know if you're if you're a spade you've hopped onto this um this podcast now and if you're not interested by now you're gone or you'll be gone very shortly because you, your attention span is what's in it for me does this benefit me yes or no, and you make a decision. Now you, that person isn't really that good with people, not really that good at managing the teams. So that person also is not very good at the details. They 
they can be analytical, but they're not naturally analytical. So what do you, if you were recruiting, you'd be wanting someone to give you the analytical person. So someone like a club, somebody who likes facts, figures, statistics, um, likes to be right, likes all these things to make a decision. Now, this is the, the magical thing with the personality types is it rolls out, like you said, to your family. You start to see this in other people. And I, I always think of it as like, you're speaking somebody else's language. You know, I go to Spain and I don't know very much Spanish, but I can ask for the bill in Spanish, like went up, blah, blah, blah. And the waiters go crazy because you've bothered to step into their environment. You've bothered to go make a little bit of understanding of them. And it makes them feel very loved and very passionate. Now, if you can do that to A, your family, your business partner, and the people you're coming on, you're going to get much, much better results than you would do if you just recruit and go, oh, that person looks like, oh, that person, Tom, he needs a job. I know him. He's the person for me. If he's not the right fit for you, that's going to be a disaster and you probably lose a friend. So the other two personalities would be the diamond. A diamond loves everything amazing. Everything has to be sparkly. Everything has to be high level. They want the show. They want the stage. They want um, they want accolade. They want everything. You know, they want to be Beyonce. That person, you could ask that person to um, do something amazing for you. And if it can be done within 24 hours and it suits them and benefits them, it will happen. If it doesn't benefit for them, they'll be bored and they'll do something different. So to give you uh, an example, so the other one is the heart. The heart has all the people. So to give you an example of how these people work in the workplace would be um, your spade is usually the entrepreneur. Your diamonds is usually somebody who is will unorganize the best Christmas parties or the best work functions. And they are the fun person when they come in for an interview. So as a business owner, you tend to sit sometimes up in that diamond or spade thing. If you were a diamond and another diamond come into an interview, you would have such a great time. You'll be like, this person's amazing. They're just like me. I'm going to recruit them. Okay. Now you've got two diamonds. It means nothing's going to get done. You're actually both going to have a great time, but neither of you are actually going to do anything because neither of you are very good at actually getting anything done. You're good at planning and plotting and shopping and nothing else. Go to the other end of the spectrum and you're looking at the club personality, which is very more analytical. Or the heart personality. The heart is heart likes everybody to do well. Um, you do get a lot of holistic people. They struggle to charge for their services, but they know everything that's going on with everyone and every business needs a heart because they understand the dynamics of what's going on in the business, especially that entrepreneur doesn't really care about people. Um, so if you go with analytical person, the problem with the analytical person is they don't have the big vision. So they want to have the big vision, but they get so tied up in knots with like, have I got proof? Have I got st statistics? What percentage is this? Am I going to look an idiot if I make a decision and it's wrong? Because I don't like to be wrong. I get embarrassed and I'm afraid of being wrong. So that person can be brilliant and they usually are brilliant, but they look like they're procrastinating because they won't make a decision. They won't take that responsibility. So once you've got all of these people, all these different personalities, the first thing you need to do business owners work out which one's you. So I think I would probably, I sit between a spade and a diamond if I'm on holiday. And I think Ethan, we said you were very analytical and very detail-oriented, like, like being on time, like to know what the arrangements are, like everything to be punctual. For example, you pre-interviewed me for the podcast, so you like to be prepared. Um, whereas I would jump on a podcast and just Twitter away um, not think twice about it. So for us to work together is magical because I would 
if I can understand you, so I understand what you need, is that I need to give you that information that's going to make you happy enough to be able to make the right decision. I cannot come to you and say, if you just do it this way, just because I'm telling you, because that would stress you out. And I know that because it happened in a call centre and I actually had an incident where it's literally 25 years ago where I was trying to teach somebody and I said, look, just do it like this. And this guy came to me probably four or five times and I very likely made him feel very stressed and probably bullied because I was trying to teach him my way as opposed to stepping into his understanding and his learning style. And when I did step into his learning style, problem was solved. It was in 20 minutes and he was so happy that he understood what he had to do, went away happy and that was a big learning curve for me. So this is so important in if you're going to build a team or you're going to build a business that isn't just you, but also it's very important in your life because, you know, you could go home and have an argument with your partner and have the same argument over and over and over because you're sitting in your learning zone and they're sitting in their learning zone and you're not giving each other what you want. I know if I, from my husband, is um, more detail-orientated and more even his personality, that, so he... For example, if we were going, he's a very early person and I'm an on-time person. So um, we clash with that to start with. Um, But if we were going to go to a restaurant, say a country park on a sunny day, he would be like, what if there's no tables? And I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Somebody will meet, but what if they don't? Oh, well, then we'll go somewhere else. Well, as I understood this a little bit more and I could realise what what was, that was actually giving him anxiety. So what he didn't want to do was turn up somewhere where there was no room for us and he would be embarrassed or turned away. So the easy way to resolve that solution is to just pick up the phone and say, hey, is the garden really busy? Is there spare tables? Yeah, it's lovely. Okay, great. We'll have that conversation. The 20 minutes it takes us to get to that pub means there's no route. We would be arguing otherwise. I'd be like, you're being an idiot. And he'd be like, oh, anxious. So that one conversation, that one understanding of somebody else's wants and needs and neurological you know this is how your brain works this is not a demand this is how your brain works that understanding can prevent just so much and actually make somebody feel valued and loved and wanted and necessary so turn that into your partner or turn that into somebody in your business imagine the loyalty you're going to get if you actually bother to understand somebody and the motivation they're going to have to do their job because they'd be rewarded so you've got to find um, maybe, you know, a big entrepreneur will be like, work for six months, we just put our all in it, we'll get a big contract and everybody's going to be happy. If you're not motivated by money, if you're motivated by a thank you and you don't get a thank you for six months, you're going to feel pretty rubbish halfway through that six months. You know, you're going to feel like they don't care about me, I'm just working all this for nothing, they're going to get the reward. You know, thank you or here's a £20 Amazon voucher would go further than a, a bonus in six months' time um, because that's how you are. You know, the same way. For your personality, you want to know that you're getting it right. You don't You don't want to know that you're getting it right in six months. You want to know now because otherwise you'll be anxious. Did I get it right? Did I not get it right? So it's very much about communication. Tell me, um, Ethan, like where you saw it in your life. I'm, I'm intrigued, though. Where did you see it at, like after our pre-call? Yeah, so uh, my business partner, Hendrik, um, I think he's a somewhere between a diamond and an ace somewhere. He can do a huge amount of stuff, but the reason we balance each other is that I'm the analytical 
hyper focus and plan and everything in single, but where he has like massive vision to a degree that I genuinely can't picture. So we really complement each other in the, in that way really, really well with a bit of heart in there as well. And also he knows this is very guilty of having like shiny fanny syndrome. Like, ooh, ooh, this, what's, what's new? What's oh, new? Oh, he's standing a diamond. I mean, he's yeah. very much a diamond. Yeah. No attention. I mean, the thing with the diamond, if they're bored, they're disruptive. So if you, you know, give him a little bit of time to go, oh, I think it's going really well, they'll disrupt it because they want that excitement. They want that level of adrenaline to be there all the time. So just plodding along for a diamond won't work at yeah. all. But even wouldn't work for you. So what happens is like for the people who like to have more analytical and more kind of crave that, that, that sparky person. And actually they really crave your organization because they don't have that organization. So you're a really good fit. The way it goes wrong is people tend to recruit their friends, especially in the area that we're talking about of solopreneur to business owner, because you've maybe never done that before. You've never had to go, you might not have come out of a corporate background where you've had recruitment um, opportunities. So you've maybe never, ever taken anybody on, don't know how to interview people. So you have a chat with them, you get on like a house on fire because that person mirrors you because they've got the same personality and the same traits. I had um, a big speaker a couple of weeks ago said, you know, we're always told to focus on the things that we're not successful at. So it's always like, you're great at that, but focus on this because you're really bad on that. So you now need to learn it. And she said, I don't understand why it needs to be like that. Why can't we just focus on what we're good at and get someone else to do the stuff we're not good at? And I was like, yes, I love this person. They had like a kid in my car and nearly crashed it. That's essentially what we should be doing as business owners go, I'm really good at this. So why am I taking my time and my energy to do this? In the beginning, I have to do that because I don't have the money. I'm a startup. And now I do have somebody that can do that. Why don't I get somebody else to do it? You know, that's why there's so many social media managers out there because most people hate social media. Most people. There's very few people that really love social media as a business. But love it for their, you know, for their friends and the family. And hey, we're going out to the second night. But most people don't really love the analytics of of digital marketing to get results, to get you know lead generation. So you find every big entrepreneur who has that big vision doesn't do their own social media. But you conversely would probably be fascinated by the stats and the costs to convert and and what's working and what's not working and the analytics of it. So that's great. But if you had two of your business partner, you'd go chuck in a lot of money at something and hope it works because they just don't have that fresh. And this is literally neurological. It's not, it isn't, I'm just being lazy or anything like that. It's just how your brain works. Like I speak very fast. I try to slow myself down and then I get excited and then I wear typing. My brain understands somebody else who's fast. You know, I, I have a friend who's a TED talker and he, speaks really fast and we were listening to a webinar and my friend said I can't even understand him he's making my head hurt he's so fast and I'm I'm thinking oh I think he slowed himself down a little bit actually (laughs) I think he's going slower for the pace of it so you know and there's an old saying the first thing I did learn was your brain understands at the speed that you speak so from the point of view of if you're speaking to somebody that's very fast then they're if you're fast it's great. There's a there's a synergy. If you're speaking to somebody who's a little bit more slower paced, they'll say, "I don't understand your accent," or "I can't hear you." 
but actually is their brain saying, I can't process at that speed. So you have to say, and as a speaker who has just got to the second stage of a TED talk, real excitement for me, but as a speaker, I have to kind of incorporate that into my speaking to know that there's a percentage of the room that need me to slow down, that need me to give them some facts and figures, that need me to say, okay, there's going to be a lot of content in this um, in this session, but I know you're going to have questions. So what I want you to do is keep your questions till the end. And if there's anything I haven't already answered, there's an opportunity for a Q&A there. My question maker, my analytical person is like, oh, she's not going to catch me out because I've got all the questions. She's not going to bamboozle me. And they'll relax and they'll sit there on their way to the end and they will have the questions. You also kind of with them suss them out in the, a lot of presenters. I did a, um, a lot of research on speaking and selling from the stage last year. And most of them will make a mistake in their presentation and the clubs will come and tell them because they can't cope with it. They're like, oh, that's wrong. And they're really hyper-focused on it. They're like, that's wrong. Stop talking. That's wrong. But they've done it on purpose so that they know who those people are. So that then when they do their next bit of speaking, they can speak at them directly. Amazing. Debbie, I could chat to you all day about this stuff. It is endlessly fascinating. But if anybody would like to get a hold of you, perhaps, you know, figure out which kind, which of the four personality types they are, um, how can they uh, reach you? And they can go to my website. There is a um, personality quiz on there that they can download. So that's just debbiebryan.com. And then all of my socials are Debbie Bryan. So it likes to be Debbie Bryan Coach, debbiebryan.com. So on Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, and TikTok. Thank you so much for your time, Debbie. It is genuinely incredible. And all the links to um, everything we've spoken about today will be in the description of this episode. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been great fun. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast but don't really know where to start, go to our website, Baird.media. That's B-A-I-R-D dot media. You can find the book, Become a Podmaster, everything you need to know to master the art of podcasting. And you can also sign up to one of our mentorship programs where we help you figure out develop and produce your show from start to finish.